Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning and happy Resurrection Day to you. It is good to be able to worship the Lord together this morning. I'm a little bit tired. This is our third service this morning, uh, three full services of, of being able to worship together, which has been awesome. It's been a wonderful thing to be able to do this, and I really want to thank the praise team. Uh, I know it's a lot of effort for them to start early and to lead us in three services, so I'm really, really grateful for them. You know what amazes me <clears throat> on an Easter Sunday is the fact that it happens every Sunday, but in particular on Easter Sunday, that there is this tsunami wave of praise that travels all the way around the globe, starting in the Pacific Ocean and some of the islands there, the first to experience the Resurrection Sunday, and it just happens all the way around the globe until it finally gets to the United States and we finish out the day of praise. So it's a solid day of worshiping the Lord and I believe that he is honored and glorified in that process. You know, it's really good to be able to worship together here today in person as well. Last year, if you remember, we did not have an Easter Sunday service in person. Uh, we had recorded um, a virtual service. I preached to a camera, which is not really uh, all that fun to do. It's not as responsive as you all are. Um, we, I, I preached to that. The praise team uh, did worship in front of a camera, and then we put that out for everybody to watch in their homes. It's just not quite the same to be able to do that. It is good to be able to gather together here today, and I promise that I will try to make it worth your time here today. Um, it reminds me of a story that I'd heard of an older lady, an older woman. She was visiting a church, and so she came in the back of the church on an Easter Sunday morning, and as she came in the back of the church, a nice young man greeted her and said, ma'am, uh, can I help you find a seat? And she said, sure, thank you. He tried to take her to the middle of the congregation and set her there, and the woman turned to the man and said, no, no, son, I want to sit in the front row. In the very front row, I really want to sit in the front row. The man turned to this woman and said, um, that's not a great idea. Our pastor is really boring. He's really dull. Uh, he puts people to sleep all the time. Are you sure you want to sit there? She looked at this young man and said, uh, sir, do you know who I am? He said, no, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. She said, well, I am the pastor's mother. <laughs> he hung his head sheepishly. And uh, looked down at the ground. A few seconds later, he looked back up at her and said, uh, Ma'am, do you know who I am? And she said, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. He said, Well, thank God. And he walked out <laughs> of the church. I will try to make this not dull and boring. If it's dull and boring to you, I don't feel like it's a me problem, I feel like that's a you problem. 
that it's something maybe in your heart. Maybe today your heart has gone out, that there is no heart for God in your life, or maybe it was there and it was burning brightly, but now it's like a campfire that has gone out and there's just a few little red embers amongst all of the ash. Maybe today God is gonna put some wood on your fire and help that fire to grow. Maybe he's gonna do an incredible work in your life today. Today, what I want to do for us is not particularly look at the resurrection, though the resurrection is everything to us. It means the world to us. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave as the only one who rose from the grave, he is the one who has finally and ultimately conquered death. The word of God tells us that we, he is the first fruits of many, that we will, in the footsteps of Jesus, be raised to new life. Jesus would die once on the cross, but be raised forever to all eternity, never to die again, and that's the glorious hope that we have. We are raised to newness of life in Christ that we will live him with, with him for all eternity, never to perish again, to be with him uh, in paradise for all of eternity. And that's, that's what the resurrection is about. That's what the hope of the resurrection is about. The shattered grave this morning is about the coming to life of Jesus, the resurrection to life, never to die again. Jennifer and I have had the opportunity to do some traveling together. We've been to uh, a couple of places uh, that we noticed this, uh, this thing happen, and that is the, uh, we went to England and we went to Ireland, and we saw many churches that were there, old churches. And in these old churches, like Westminster Abbey is one of those, they, when you walk through this, this old building and you see these sites, you walk over the top of graves, People are buried there in the church. Uh, nobility, uh, people with wealth and you know money would have been buried there. Kings were buried there. Uh, people of fame, authors being buried there. And uh, every one of them have something in common, and that is when they died, they did not rise again. But when Jesus died, the grave could not keep him down. He rose again. He became the ultimate hope and the picture of hope for us. There was a child's play that was taking place on an Easter Sunday. The children's director had, uh, had said to the class, we're going to do this play, and I would like volunteers to play the parts in the Easter play that we are going to do. And we're going to do this before the church on, an Easter, on Easter Sunday morning. So she got several volunteers. She went up to little Tommy. Little Tommy, she asked him, uh, Tommy, I've got this reading part. I really think you would be good for it. I'd really like you to do this. This is a very important part. Little Tommy declined the part. He said, no, I'd rather not do that. I want to play the, the role of the stone that stood in front of the tomb. That's the role that I want to play for the pageant. Teacher thought that was really weird. Why would you want to do that? But she said, okay, that's fine if you want to do that. Day of the pageant came. Uh, the Easter play was put on. It was a very big success. All of the parents loved it. The kids loved it. After the thing was over, the director went up to Tommy and said, Tommy, did you enjoy being a part of this? And he said, yes, I really enjoyed playing the, the stone in front of the tomb. She said, well, why in the world did you want to do that? And he said these words, because something feels really good about letting Jesus out of the grave. That picture is the picture of hope. Something feels really good about Jesus conquering the grave. Well, today I want to look at something a little bit different. I don't want to look at the actual resurrection events. I want to look at the events on the cross. And in particular, I want to look at the gospel of Luke. 
In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, Jesus says from the cross three statements that summarize all that the gospel is going to cover. And so these three statements are the essence of everything that the Bible is talking about. You will understand the gospel and you will understand salvation by understanding these three things that Jesus is going to say. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to pick up our reading today in uh, verse 32. You can follow along either in, uh, if you have an app on your phone, you could follow along on the screen, or if you brought a Bible with you today. And here's what the word of God says, starting in Luke 23, verse 32. Here's what it says. It says, others, two evildoers, they were thieves, they were also led away with Jesus to be put to death. When they came to the place called the skull, now that was a literal place. It was outside of the city, it was called Golgotha. In Latin, it's the word Calvary. So if you've ever heard the terms Calvary or Golgotha, it's referring to the place where they crucified criminals. The Romans would have crucified them there. Lines and lines, rows and rows of people being crucified and executed through being placed on the cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, the skull, Calvary, and there they crucified him. There they crucified Jesus along with the thieves, the evildoers, one on his right and the other on his left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Then the Romans cast lots dividing up his clothing. And that would have been a playing of a dice game that they would have determined who was gonna get the clothing of the criminals that were being executed. By the way, that's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, many things in here are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy. Now, around Jesus, as he was being crucified, there were people that stood there watching. And even the leaders were sneering at Jesus, saying, well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, the chosen one. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, likewise mocked Jesus, coming up and bringing him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there was also an inscription over Jesus. It would have been carved in a piece of wood, hung over Jesus. They always did that above the cross to pronounce the crime that they were guilty of and the reason that they were being crucified. Jesus went through some trials and they could find nothing to charge him with. They finally came up with this statement. Well, he said he was the king of the Jews. That's worthy of killing him. Now, one of the evildoers, one of the thieves hanging next to Jesus was jeering at him saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save your, uh, aren't you the Messiah? Uh, save yourself and us. But the other thief, the one on the other side of Jesus, rebuked the other thief and replied, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we're getting what we deserve for our actions and rightly so. But this one has done nothing wrong. And the thief said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, amen, I tell you today, you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun had died out and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion, the Roman centurion, saw what had happened, he began glorifying God because something miraculous just happened in front of his eyes. The centurion said, truly, this was a righteous man. And all the crowds assembled for this spectacle. When they saw what had happened, they began to turn back, beating their breasts. But all Jesus' acquaintances and the women who were following him from the Galilee were standing at a distance watching these things. Let's pray as we begin. Father, help us to hear from you today. I pray, Father, for the ones in this room who have never started a relationship with you. They have never just said, Jesus, please come into my life and forgive me. And I pray for them today, Lord, that this would be the day where their life begins. That this would be the day where something drastically changes. Where they realize that they are loved and accepted and completely forgiven by you. I pray, Father, today that you would help us to understand these three statements that Jesus made on the cross as he was dying. As he died on that cross, he was thinking about mankind. He was thinking about us. And I pray, Father, that we would respond. We would respond to his invitation with acceptance. We want to thank you today, Lord, that we can celebrate the resurrection, that the grave did not hold Jesus down, that he rose again. Not only rising again, it wasn't to one person, it was to multitudes of people over a 40-day period who saw him. Jesus, help us to take encouragement in our hearts today because of the work that you did 2,000 years ago and the work that you're still doing in our hearts this day. We thank you for what you're going to do. Now teach us through your word. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I, wanna, I want you to listen to the words that one young lady wrote. Uh, as She wrote into an atheist website. She is an atheist herself, but she's struggling with her atheism. And she wrote this to the website. She says this, I'm confused. I always believe that science would be the cure-all for my problems, but I don't know if I can keep on living without eternal life. I guess I'll just have to find a new way myself to make it through this meaningless existence. I wish I knew of someone who could show me the path to eternal life. If science can't provide answers, then who or what can? Doesn't it seem like there's a higher power that gives our life purpose? Well, science says there isn't, so I guess there isn't. What is the meaning of life? What is life all about? Why are we born? Why do we live? What happens after we die? Mankind has come up with all kinds of theories about this. Most of those theories have turned into some type of religion. Religion is mankind's attempt to try to reach God. How can I get myself to God? What can I do to make sure that I am with God? How can I do enough good deeds to make sure that God is going to be okay with me? And most people live life thinking that as long as the giant scale in the sky, the good outweighs the bad, then I'm going to be okay. 
I hope that the bad doesn't outweigh the good, so I'm just going to make sure that the good outweighs the bad. They get involved in some kind of a religion, and the religion says, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, 1, 2, and 3 in order for God to be okay with you. So they get involved in something, and they try to do this list of rules only to feel more and more empty. Whether it is Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, whether it is Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism, whether it is Church of Scientology or Sikhism, whether it's any list of other things, that is all our attempt to try to reach God, somehow make God okay with me. And then we come to the realization that there's nothing I can do that will make God okay with me. I can't do enough. I can't perform enough. I can't do enough good deeds, enough good efforts, enough good works to make God be okay with me. So what does God do? He says, well, therefore you have no hope and you're gonna perish for all eternity. No, it's not what he does. He sends Jesus. The incarnation of God. We can't reach God, so God reached down to us. Jesus comes in the Christmas story. Jesus lives a perfect life, a sinless life. Jesus goes to the cross as our substitutionary offering. We deserve to hang on the cross because of all of the junk of our lives, but Jesus says, I will go there on your behalf. I will take your penalty and your punishment for you because I love you. He takes our place. He is our substitute. And then he says, believe in me. Put your trust in me and you will have eternal life. Mankind's attempt to reach God through religious efforts, through science, through some means, all of it falls short. So God reaches down. It's like we have fallen into a pit and we can't climb our way out we can't escape, so Jesus climbs into the pit on our behalf, puts us on his back, and carries us out. In the final three statements that Jesus made on the cross, he summarizes all that he has been doing. He summarizes the essence of the gospel. Jesus, he's hanging there, exhausted, in excruciating pain, thirsty, and yet he still breathes out these three statements so that we could know what it means to be in relationship with him. He didn't come to establish religion. Religion is man's attempt. He came to offer a relationship that we can enter into and have a personal relationship with him. In Luke 23, there are three statements that Jesus made and three things that summarize that we will go through rather quickly to understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross. The first thing that Jesus offered in the cross is he offered to us and extended to us complete forgiveness. You can be forgiven. Your only means of being able to go to heaven is if God has forgiven you. If God has not forgiven you, you have no hope. But if God forgives you, you have ultimate hope. And so what does Jesus do? He offers complete forgiveness. I want you to look at what it says, and I want you to understand the context of what is going on. 
Jesus was led from the city where he had been falsely accused, where he had been beaten, where his back had been ripped open through the scourging, where a thorn of crowns was placed upon his head and he was beaten repeatedly. He was punched in the face over and over again, so much so that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah prophesied of Jesus about 650 years before he was on the scene that he will be disfigured beyond recognition. He was then led away carrying his cross as far as he could, carrying it up the hill to the place he would be executed. He was laid out on the cross. They would have stretched out his body on the cross, taken large spikes that kind of looked like railroad spikes and driven them through his hands and his feet. His hands, it would have not gone through the middle of the hand. The word for hand in the Greek language describes from the wrist all the way to the end of the fingers. They would have driven it through the point uh, below the hand, driven it through the bones so that it would have locked into place. They would have severed the major artery or major uh, nerve when they did that. So he would have been in excruciating pain from that moment on. They pierced his hands, they pierced his feet, they put him up into position. The cross would have dropped into a hole that had been dug, and as it dropped down, it would have dislocated his shoulders. All of the time, this was rubbing up against his back that was laid wide open by the scourging. As this is going on, what would you have done? How would you have responded? What would you have said? You may have brought cursing, you may have been angry, raging, bitter, but it's not what is recorded of Jesus. What does it say of Jesus? These words. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgive them. The word in the Greek language for forgive implies, it's in the tense that implies that he was saying it over and over again. That it wasn't one time he was saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They are crucifying him and yet he still is extending forgiveness. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, because that's what all of us need more than anything. There is a core need in every one of us. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be worthwhile. We want to have significance. We want to belong. We want to be connected. We want purpose. We want meaning. We want hope. All of those things that we need are only found in Jesus. And the only way we can get the things that we need is when he willingly forgives us. If he doesn't forgive us, then we are at arm's length. We are restrained. We are not reconciled in the relationship. But as soon as forgiveness takes place, now all of the things that we crave are at our disposal. It's kind of like if you've ever been fighting with a a friend or a spouse, and you know there's that tension between the two of you. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've You've had that. When you have that tension... And then you forgive each other and you turn toward each other and there's reconciliation 
and you feel good again. You feel loved. You feel accepted. There is now relationship that has been reestablished. That's what happens when forgiveness happens. The Bible tells us this, that because of our sin, and we have all sinned, it says that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 tells us, all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of his glory. Romans 6 then says this, here's what's going to happen. The wages of sin is death. In other words, here's what you're earning because of what has happened in your life. You earn death. So I am in a sinful state. I'm deserving of death. I deserve the cross. And then it tells us this, but the free gift of God is life in Jesus. It is his grace. He, substitutionary, uh, a substitutionary offering for our sake. He hung on the cross so that I could be forgiven. Many of you have received that. Many of you know what that's like, but others, you've never received that because you've never come to him and said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for my life. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Jesus, would you find it in your heart to forgive me? And you know what happens when you ask him that? He says, yes, I will forgive you. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Do you know <clears throat> that in the Bible... Jesus did multitudes of miracles. In fact, Peter says that he did so many things that not, there's not enough books in the world to contain all that Jesus did. In the Gospels, there are 37 miracles that Jesus did do that were recorded. He did things like this. He, he healed the eyes of the blind so they could see again. He healed the deaf so they could hear again. People who were uh, having covered with leprosy, he healed that so that they had no more disease. Uh, he healed people who were demon-possessed. There were people that could not walk. They were lame. They could not walk since birth. He healed them so that they could walk again. In fact, in a couple of cases, he rose people from the dead. But all of those miracles that Jesus did were temporary. Because every one of those people to whom Jesus had performed a miracle would die again. People whose eyes were restored eventually would get old and they would need glasses to be able to see. And then eventually they couldn't see at all and then they would drift into death. Eventually people whose ears were restored, they lost their hearing and then they ultimately died. People who were raised from the dead ultimately would die again. People who were lame, who were made to walk and dancing before the Lord eventually would get to a point where they were just shuffling their feet and then they were close to death and then they died. Every miracle that Jesus did was a temporary miracle. What is the greatest miracle that he ever did? Forgiveness. Because that's the miracle that can never be taken away. That's the miracle that allows you to go into eternal life if you have been forgiven by God. Have you been forgiven by him? He has offered it. Have you accepted it? Second thing that Jesus says is he not just talks about this extension of complete forgiveness, but secondly, he promises everlasting life. Forgiveness, everlasting life. 
when did that happen? Well, there were two thieves around Jesus on the cross. I believe they were crucified one on each side so that they could both demonstrate equal access to God. Everybody has equal access to God. One criminal who was hanging because of his guilt looked at Jesus and said, if you're really the Messiah, get us down. And he mocked him and he sneered at him. The other criminal who was justly hanging on the cross for his crimes said to the other one, what's wrong with you? Do you not even fear God? This thief who knew he was justly being condemned didn't ask to be set free. He just said this, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you please remember me? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus responded with these words. Jesus said to him, amen, I tell you, today you shall be with me in paradise. The promise of everlasting life. When you have been forgiven, you now have the promise of everlasting life. If you have not been forgiven, you have the promise of everlasting condemnation. When you have been forgiven, you have the promise of everlasting life. And I want you to see the words that Jesus uses, and I want to look at them one by one, because every word is an ocean of truth. Look at what he says. Amen, I tell you, today, <clears throat> today, not after purgatory, not after limbo, today, the moment you die, today. Today what? Today you. Notice the you. Who is the you? It's this guy hanging there. You. You guilty sinner. You thief. You liar. You murderer. You addict. You adulterer. You guilty sinner, you prideful person, you selfish person, you have hope. You know what that does for all of us? It says that no matter what you have done, no matter how far you have fallen, no matter what depth you have sunk into, you still can have forgiveness you still can have eternal life. So he says, today, you, you what? You shall. You shall. What is the word shall? You, the word shall is the word will. You will. Not maybe. Not if God doesn't change his mind. Not if you jump through enough hoops. Not if you run and get baptized right away. He just says, you will. Today, you Guilty one will, will what? Will be with me. Not soul sleep, not purging some kind of leftover sins, but you will be with me in conscience existence immediately, entering life upon the Savior's death. You, today, you will be with me. Where? In paradise in the presence of God forever. No sin, no sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache. You will be with me 
in paradise. That is the good news. You can be forgiven. When you are forgiven, you can have eternal life. And then Jesus says one final thought, one final phrase from the cross. He extends complete forgiveness. He promises everlasting life. He offers true rest, true rest, true peace, peace in your heart, peace in your life, true rest. Luke 23, 46, Jesus says this, crying out with a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. In John chapter 19, verse 30, John adds one word to this statement that Luke just made, and here's the word that he adds. When Jesus tasted the sour wine, he said, it is finished. What is finished? The whole sacrificial system. Every year in the Jewish culture, at the Passover time, the same time Jesus was crucified, on the same day Jesus was crucified, lambs were offered up. Thousands of lambs every year were offered up for sin. They were offered up for forgiveness. When Jesus hung on the cross, he did away with everything. Everything is now finished. It is done. It is over. It is complete. Therefore, you don't have to strive any farther. You don't have to jump through religious hoops anymore. You don't have to try to earn God's favor any longer. It's done. It is finished. And you can rest in that. You know how good it is just to know you're forgiven and not have to wonder every day? I know people who are constantly wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I said, the, is the good going to outweigh the bad? Are the intentions of my heart right? Am, am I going to be okay? Do you know when you're forgiven and when Jesus offers complete and, and, and utter forgiveness and he offers you eternal life, you can finally rest and it's a good rest. It's like at Christmas time. If somebody brings a gift to you, you have several responses that you could make with the gift. They bring you a gift and you could say to them, no, thank you, I don't want it. You have that right. Somebody could bring you a gift and you could say, well, wait, wait, wait a second. I, I didn't get you anything. I have to get you something of equal or more value than what you gave me in order to receive your gift. And so you just put yourself in limbo uh, because you can't ever do that. Or you can say, thank you. I don't deserve it. I didn't get you anything. I appreciate what you've given me. I am grateful for what you've given me. You take that gift and you hold on to it and you rest from that moment on. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Not through you jumping through hoops, not through you trying hard just by receiving the gift that he offered I have been in ministry now uh, right at 25 years since the time that I started, which is hard to believe. 
25 years, actually, I think it's 24, I think it'll be 25 next year, but 20, almost 25 years of ministry, and I have been in people's hospital rooms, or I have been with family members, or I've been at their homes, or I have been in hospice where people are dying. I have been there in, the, in uh, person with people who have actually died, and it's amazing that when you're in the presence of somebody dying, there's always two kinds of responses. You have one group of people who do not know God, who have never been forgiven because they have never asked for forgiveness. They have no relationship with God, and as a result, they are panicked, anxiety, worried, stressed, fear, there is no peace and there is no rest. And then there's another group of people that this group of people have received the forgiveness that Jesus offers. They have said, yes, Jesus, please forgive me. I know I, know I don't deserve anything. I know that I can't earn anything, but thank you, Jesus, that you took my punishment for me. And they have trusted in Jesus and they have been looking forward to eternal life with him and there has been hope in their heart. And when they die, there is peace, there is rest, there is joy, there's excitement because they know that they are going to be with the Lord forever. When you accept Christ, there is rest and peace that comes to your heart. As Jesus hung there dying, as he was in excruciating pain, he didn't cast insults. He didn't throw venom. He didn't throw bitterness. Instead, he reminded us of the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Christ. You can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. And you can rest in that knowledge if you accept the gift that he offers. How do I do that? How do I accept that gift? I ask Jesus to come into my heart. It's not about me. It's not about anybody sitting around you. It's about you personally. Between you and God, in a prayer time with God, you just simply say this, God, I'm sorry I confess to you that, yes, I am a mess. I confess to you, yes, I am a sinner. I confess to you, yes, I deserve eternal punishment. But Jesus, I'm asking for your forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? I accept the gift that you have offered, the gift of taking my place, of being the substitute on the cross, on my behalf. And when you pray that prayer and you confess your sins and you say, God, I'm sorry, and you ask him for forgiveness, guess what happens? He forgives you. And now you can look to eternal life. And now you can look to life of following him as you live life for the rest of it here. And you can look forward to the hope of being with him and you can finally begin to rest. Finally have peace. Finally have the love 
and the acceptance, the significance and the worth, the belonging and the connection, the purpose and the meaning that you've always longed to have. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you made sure your heart is right with God? If so, continue walking with him. If you have not, make this the day where you say, Jesus, come into my life. Would you pray with me? Father, on behalf of everyone here, as an intercessor on behalf of everyone here, for those in this place who have never accepted you, who have never said, Jesus, I am so sorry, who have never said, Jesus, I will trust in you. I will put my faith in you. Jesus, thank you that you are willing to take my place. Please, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord, for the ones that are willing to do that, we know that you will forgive them. For the ones that do that, Lord, I pray that their hearts would now be yours and that they would begin to walk after you and follow you, to know you and understand you, to be saved in life. Thank you that you died on the cross on our behalf. Thank you that you offered to us forgiveness, eternal life, and the opportunity to rest and trust in you. No more striving, no more trying to jump through hoops, we can now rest in the grace that you offer. I pray, Lord, for those that are willing to make that decision that you would just confirm in their hearts to help them know that they are now your children. They are now yours, and they can follow you the rest of their lives. Thank you for this day. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.